Welcome to Totally Sort of the podcast. It's sort of like a review show and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Chris. And I'm Darren. We're going to let you know what kind of geeky goodness we've been watching, reading, playing, and listening to over the past week. We'll tell you what you totally need to check out and what is sort of worth skipping. This week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the premiere of the second season of Jessica Jones and the second half of the first season of The Tick. We're going to look at some different podcasts we've been listening to, and Darren's going to tell us about games that he does not regret wasting time on. So what kind of random stuff have you been up to this week? Uh, this week uh, I wanted to chat briefly about small town movie theaters. Really? What's, what's brought this on? Well, I recently went on another snowboarding trip uh, yep. to Vermont, and we stayed in the village of Stowe, which is okay. sort of the small town right at the base of the mountain. Yep. And went back to, I've, I've been to Stowe before and gone to the movie theater there and went back to the movie theater. And I just really like a little tiny small town movie theaters with character. Sure. So is this an older place? Yeah. It's an old theater, like one of those tiny small town theaters that was probably a concert or theater hall at some point and is now a movie theater. Cool. So there are two places that I've snowboarded that I've gone to particularly small places like this. There's this one in Stowe, and there's another one in Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. And there's just something I love about the character of that small theater. You know, three screens, maybe 200 people in a theater. Not a particularly big screen. You're not talking about the greatest sound system, but there's character to the theater itself. Yeah. and. There's just something nice about seeing something in a small room with other people that isn't that has character and isn't just a big box theater. Yeah, I think uh, character, it's all about character. Because when I think of movie theaters that I go to now, as you said, they're sort of big boxified. Um, you know, you get great picture, you get great sound. Uh, they're all putting in the recliners, which is pretty sweet. But there's no... There's no character whatsoever, and it feels like you could walk out and next week that same space could be used for, like, an Orange Julius or something. Yeah, it's funny. This could easily become, like, a grumpy old man segment. But, (laughs) uh, no, I hear you. I mean, there's definitely a lot of cool uh, advances. Like, I love buying tickets online and not having to wait in line. But, uh, yeah, we both grew up in a small town and uh, too small for a theater, but the the small towns that we would drive to to go to theaters were uh, were nice little places. At least I remember them that way. Yeah, I remember them as disgusting places, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's more due to your uh, personal behavior in those places. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Did you have a totally random instance to talk about this week? Uh, yeah, my, uh, my thing this week is that some friends and I started what is known as a 10 by 10 challenge. Tell me about that. What is that? So, uh, we've talked a few times when we get onto the topic of, uh, board games and tabletop games about chasing the new and just buying a lot of games and maybe not playing games as much as buying new ones and learning new rules all the time. Yes. Much to the consternation of some of my family who feel like they never get to play anything they actually know because I'm constantly buying something new. Yeah, I hear the same thing. And, and you know, I, I it's true. There's something really nice about playing something you already know, not having to learn the rules beforehand. Um, 
And uh, most people, I think, take take it as a given. But board gamers, just there's so many awesome games coming out that it's pretty easy to get sucked into just buying new stuff all the time. So this 10 by 10 challenge is basically the idea is to dissuade you from just playing new things all the time. Uh, It's to pick 10 games that you really like and kind of commit to playing each of them 10 times. And it's not it's not like anything highly organized or regimented. It's just like here's what we're here's our goal over maybe the next year or so. Uh, here's our list of ten games, and we're gonna focus on playing these games over and over rather than trying new stuff. Uh, where did this come from? The idea of the ten by ten challenge? It's been floating around for a couple of years. I've read about it on Board Game Geek and and online, and I've heard people talk about it. I've thought about it a couple of times. Uh, I don't know if it came from any one particular place, but before we do the show notes, I'll be sure to do a little bit of research and put a good link up there. All right. So does this involve raising your right hand and making a solemn promise or signing a contract, or do you just uh, agree with your buddies to do it? There's no contract. There's no uh, commitment. We we did almost kind of overthink it in terms of like doing a draft and having vetoes and we were kind of joking about potentially you know including games that we knew the other person didn't like (laughs) but uh, no we didn't do anything like that it's basically we just have a list of 10 games that we're interested in playing a bunch of times and we're gonna make it a priority to play those whenever we pick our games on a given night well i like the idea and i certainly have people in my life who would appreciate such a thing yeah, I'll uh, I'll let you know how it goes. We played, uh, we banged out three games of King Domino the other night and uh, one game of Dominion. And I'm kind of looking forward to playing Dominion with some new people. It's a game I've had forever and I still enjoy, but don't play very often anymore. So yeah, it's going to be a, a fun time. All right. I look forward to hearing an update. Cool. You want to move into uh, our television for the week? Sure. And that is part of our segment called My Week in Geek. So this week, I was really surprised and pleased to find out that Amazon has put up another six episodes of The Tick. We uh, may have talked about this between the two of us at some point, but I don't think The Tick has made its way into the podcast up to now. No, it's uh, and I was really pleased. I thought it was just sort of a micro season of six episodes. Uh, so I was quite pleased when I logged in at one point and found another six episodes. The The Amazon version of The Tick, uh, for people that don't know, this is the third screen version of... Um, the comic book, kind of parody comic book hero, The Tick. It's been a Saturday morning cartoon, which was awesome. I have to say, I think we both agree that that's one of the, the best sort of funny superhero shows ever. I think it's the uh, the gold standard for The Tick thus far. Yep. And then there was, oh, I really should know this date, about 2000 or early 2000s. There was a version with uh, Patrick Warburton, um, who was a a great casting choice for The Tick. It was a live-action version on Fox, and it was all right. It had some moments, but pretty forgettable, I think, in the grand scheme of things. It didn't last particularly long either, did it? No, I think it's uh, like single-digit episode count on that one. Um, So this new version of The Tick is really hitting its stride. Have you seen it yet? I have not. Okay, so it's totally worth checking out once you get into it. Uh, Now that they've been up and running for a while, it's really hitting its stride, both as like a great version of The Tick and just as a fun, funny show on its own. So even if you have no background with The Tick, I highly recommend checking this one out. Basically, the bigger the cast gets, the better the show is getting. Uh, Because I think one of the best things about The Tick is the bickering and infighting and relationships between the characters. Yeah, that's always been a mainstay of the ticks. 
Uh, it's the sort of the anti-idea of the sort of super friends who all get along and solve crimes and, and go on super adventures together in a cooperative and helpful way. Totally. So, um, so yeah, so they're getting more of an extended cast and we're starting to find out little, little elements of backstory on some of the characters and, uh, and the ongoing plot is just getting crazier and crazier and they've dropped some nice little nuggets that are going to play out, I think in future seasons, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. And in this second half, we're getting a little bit more action, a little bit more kind of comic book spectacle action. Uh, we get to see the tick finally leaping around from building to building, rooftop to rooftop, which was always a highlight of the cartoon. But the thing that has that really this has made me wonder is why they haven't just gone the Archer route with this show, which is why invest all this money in making it live action when it is such an over the top concept? Like, can you not just get a, a really good cast and really good writers, but leave it animated? I don't know. I still think there's a perception that primetime is not ready for animation yet and that you can't really capture an adult audience with animation. Whether that's true or not, uh, I think there's still a perception with the sort of big... It's like a stigma. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's really my only um, gripe is it, it just makes me wish that this was a cartoon with the same voice cast and the same writing. Because it's, uh, you know, they've changed the tone a little bit. It's a little bit less PG. There's a little bit of swearing and dirty content. But um, so that little change of tone just gives it a little something new and a little bit more TV friendly. But uh, yeah, I just would like to see the tick be sort of bigger and hulkier. And I'd like Arthur to be a little fatter. But those things just are so hard to do without giant budgets or giant CGI. Yes. Anyways, highly recommend the tick. Uh, it's up to 12 episodes and the i really am looking forward to seeing them do some more with this great i still it's on my list to check out right on jessica jones came out this week it would the uh, season two dropped on netflix i think thursday of this past week yeah that was a nice surprise it kind of snuck up on me oh i was eagerly anticipating it i knew it was coming <laughs> i was looking forward to it i just didn't realize it was it was uh coming so quick so uh how far into it are you uh, I have two episodes in. I haven't had as much time as I'd like to have uh, sat down and binge watched, but I am going to keep pushing forward on it. <laughs> so what's your first impression? Um, I really like it. I missed Jessica Jones while it was gone. I kind of, uh, I like the little teaser that you got in the Defenders to see her again. And uh, it's great to see her in her own show again. The season, I think, is going to be very interesting. It certainly has uh, an interesting production value to it in that I don't know if you've, how, how deep you know about what's going on, but uh, it's all female directors for the entire season this year. Okay, I wondered what you meant by that. I wasn't aware of that. That's cool. And I saw also just as a sort of uh, go along with the show, they also got uh, female artists to do a comic book cover for each episode. You can uh, check oh, them out cool. online and I'll put up a link in the show links as well. So they definitely have tried to capture that focus and sort of the zeitgeist of the times, if you will, uh, in terms of the treatment of uh, females on screen and who gets to direct and produce and create that content. Yeah, that's really cool. <clears throat> I think um, I've only seen the first one so far, but uh, it's really promising. I was really forgot how great a show this was and was really happy to, to have a bunch of new episodes to see. I think one of the, the things that really made me laugh in this first one was that scene with, um, with Trish 
performing as her child star character at a at a birthday party yeah that was pretty funny i was just it was a really funny and kind of unexpected weird little little sidebar of a scene but uh no i think this is going to be a great season i look forward to all the little the little references to comic book characters because even the even the source material alias the writer brian bendis tended to use kind of weird very minor characters in his in his stories so to try and recognize them on the show is even more challenging it is you kind of have to know the names uh because they don't necessarily give them to you uh, even exactly the way uh, they were originally presented in the comic books. Yeah, there have been some pretty neat real lifeification or MCUification of of these characters, but I think they've been doing a really good job so far. Yeah, I have a minor criticism of the first uh, sort of intro to the show that may not play out throughout the entire series, and it is that the original Jessica Jones story is really the contradiction of this woman with superpowers who's so broken that she's basically lost her own personal power over herself and her life. And that's what the first season is about. And that's basically what Alias, the source material, the original Bendis book was about. Was yeah. And uh, in case people haven't watched, I don't want to give away too much about what happens at the end of the first season, but you would have expected that in some way she would have retained some aspect of her sort of personal power as a result of the resolution of the first season. And hmm. I thought, or I felt at least in the beginning, that we're getting uh, a little too much sad Jessica, and that still I'm I'm lacking in my own sort of sense of self and power uh, versus where she's know. gotten to. Like, I want to see more angsty, uh, angry, powerful, not super powered, but like my own personal power, Jessica, right. and less of this sort of uh, sad, broken Jessica. And I appreciate that they want to tell a story that begins with, well, she isn't fixed as a result right. of what happened last and that the story that we want to tell is her going back to find out what's still making her broken. So I, yeah. I don't expect that she's ever going to be perfect because the horrifically traumatic events that occur to her prior to the first season where she starts, that kind of stuff never goes away. So I don't ever yeah. expect her to be the perfectly balanced person who has their entire life in order and their personal life. Uh, that's not what I want or expect, but I expected that there would be a bit more evolution into this season of her yeah. uh, having more control over her life. That was, And so there are two parts to that. One may be uh, just that that's what I wanted and it can't really be like that because you got to tell another story and the other part of the story is to go back and find out well what things even preceded uh, yeah. the, the traumatic events that led to who she is and the second I think maybe my own personal issue in that having read forward with Jessica Jones in the comics they have gotten to a place with her where she is more stable and in control and has regained that sense of her own power and so I've read stories with her in that place and that I was a little ready with season two to see her closer to that place than to where she was in season one. Uh, it's not a major complaint. I just want more angsty, angry Jessica and less sad Jessica. All right. That's that's fair. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. I actually didn't mind going back to that place because I think, you know, the end of the first season, we could expect Jessica to have a bit of a, a setback or 
not a relapse, but just like, you know, making progress, but whoa, that was a pretty crappy period in her life. And what I liked about this first one, uh, first episode was just the character work with her in revealing that it's not just her past that makes her sad and broken. It's that she goes through and runs into a lot of crappy stuff and crappy people. And there's a really small intro with just her doing her uh, private detective work. And someone just treats her like crap. And I, I liked that it's showing that she's not just, um, you know, damaged goods based on trauma in her past. She's, you know, got a bit of a crappy life. So I, I think it's more of a of a reset and a reestablishing of things. And I think they're probably going to, we're going to see more progression in her through the season, but I'm looking forward to it. That's what I'm hoping for. I just want to see some progression. Cool. We will uh, enjoy watching the rest of that sh- that series, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that will come up again uh, as a point of discussion at some point. Both of us saw movies this week, I believe. Yeah, I'm getting right caught up on my Marvel uh, movies this week. Oh, that means you saw Black Panther finally? Yes, I did see Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Are you ignoring the fact that I said Black Panther? Because I who, who saw now? it what? for the- <laughs> I saw Black Panther for the second time, and my understanding is that you haven't even seen it yet. I have not. And you know what? I may be starting to reconcile with the fact that maybe I won't see it until it's on uh, streaming. Uh, oh, I, I've that, decided... is, that is just shocking. Uh, I <laughs> well, think we're going to take your credentials away. I don't know. I thought, I thought, you know, the worst thing I had ever done as a Marvel movie fan was missing Thor Ragnarok in theaters because I was so excited for that one. And somehow I got past it, but then I got the whole second version, like a second run through of the anticipation of it being re-released on streaming. So I almost got that build up twice. And luckily for me, it did not disappoint. Yeah, it's a super fun movie. I, you know, I'd read all about it and I was prepared to, you know, lower my expectations about some things, but I just had so much fun with it. I don't know what my expectations were because the second Thor was a bit of a downer, but around the time Ragnarok came out, I had essentially heard that they were moving Thor in the kind of Guardians of the Galaxy type direction, and I thought, that might be interesting. So I went in with almost no expectations, and I thought it was just a, a load of fun. Yeah, and visually, I just, I don't think anybody has ever done uh, as much justice to the kind of Jack Kirby style of just weird, you know, alien robots and patterns and that kind of visual uh, stuff from some of the funkier Thor books. It was really cool to see that on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the uh, just the fights and the humor and uh, the character work, it was just a ton of fun. So yeah, still no Black Panther, but uh, I'm up to Thor Ragnarok now. Yeah, I just want to point out, though, by not seeing Black Panther, you're not just disappointing the uh, the Marvel credentials, but you're, there's a whole cultural thing that you're missing out on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still probably will try and get to it. It's The other thing is, like, the half-life of a movie in theaters nowadays is, like, for a successful movie, maybe four weeks. Yeah, uh, although Black Panther, I think, is going to stretch out a while because, I mean, I think it's going to make a billion dollars in... I think it may have crossed that already. Yeah. Cool. So, and did it hold up to a second viewing for you? Yeah, it really did. I, awesome. I really enjoyed it the second time. I still thought it was a great film. Cool. 
I will be trying to get out to that soon. From uh, viewing to listening, we now have, I think, both podcasts we were interested in talking about. Yeah, I didn't really have one in particular. I've been hunting uh, hunting for a new food show, though. Uh, have you ever listened to The Sporkful? I have not. So Sporkful is a long-running NPR show that it's just kind of a fun... Um, their tagline is, it's it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. Um, so he kind of, it's kind of like a cross between an interview show and a cooking show and a Mythbusters kind of kind of thing. He just talks about lots of interesting food-related topics. But I've been looking to branch out. So I've been checking out one called Taste of the Past, which is all about how food and history intersect and sort of the history of food, food in history, origins of food. It's kind of a cool little nerdy sub-genre that I've been checking out. Does it also include sort of recipes and cooking instructions, or is it more of a history show? A little bit of both. They tend to interview authors who have done books, which might be cookbooks or history books. So like the one that I was just listening to was all about noodles and about how like every culture in the world has noodles and how everybody makes them a little bit differently and maybe trying to define what is a noodle. (laughs) Nice. I'd like to know what the uh, Canadian noodle dish uh, culturally would be. Mm. Yeah, that might be tough. That <laughs> might be tough. Basically, yeah. Anyways, it's uh, it's just little little snippets and and meanderings of. I just like to to learn about different kinds of food, but when you put it in historical context, it's it's even more interesting. Sounds good. How about you? What have you been listening to? Uh, I've been sort of since Serial ended, which I do realize is a couple of years ago, been looking for something in that light that uh, would interest me. I've tried a couple of podcasts. I I didn't really love the second season of Serial. And uh, I checked out one called My Favorite Murder, which didn't really do it for me. Mm -hmm. And so I've just uh, been searching around. I found one that's called Crime Town. Okay. So uh, what's your 30 second pitch for Crime Town? Crime Town as a series is uh, the exploration of different American cities in which uh, there's a particular crime element. Okay, so is it like the local flavor of crime in, say, Cleveland? Exactly. And the first season is about Providence, Rhode Island, which came as a surprise to me that like this is the the place you go to find a, a really good local crime story. And, and actually, it's a much bigger local crime story than you imagine. Is this like fishing or lobster related? Not at all. So apparently, Providence, Rhode Island is outside of New York, the largest town uh, center for organized crime on the East Coast that okay. almost... All of the New England area crime syndicate uh, mob family is run by one guy uh, out of Providence, Rhode Island. Well, one family, Raymond Patricias, is the head of this New England crime family. And although it's in a relatively small town, his sort of criminal empire stretches all across New England. So it's not like this is the summer home of the New York mob. This is just the, the outside New York mob. Yes, this is the New England mob, which is headquartered in Providence, Rhode Island. And the story of the first season is about the intersection of this uh, Providence, Rhode Island crime family and this crime head and a guy named uh, Vincent Cianci Jr., who became known as Buddy, who uh, started as a prosecutor in Rhode Island 
ran to become mayor of Rhode Island on an anti-corruption platform and before even getting into the mayor's office, wound up in bed with the mob while uh, the mayor of Rhode Island ran an extensive pay-to-play scheme with the mob, uh, giving them jobs. Wow. One of the mob's former lawyers became the uh, superior court, like the Supreme Court judge of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Buddy Cianci eventually winds up getting turfed out of the mayor's office for kidnapping and torturing uh, a guy who he suspected of having an affair with his wife, as well as numerous anti-corruption investigations taking place. That sounds like a pretty juicy story. It scratched my serial itch that I'd been sort of looking for something that would have that uh, sort of depth of storytelling and interest for me. Nice. Okay, so I know now what you've been watching and what you've been listening to, but what have you been meaning to watch? The PVR pileup. It's my belief that there are people other than me that have uh, recorded episodes of TV that they've been keeping. And at some point, you need to make a decision. Are you going to watch this or are you done with this show? So, okay, before we get into your specifics. So you're looking for validation on this. I understand. And that's cool. (laughs) That there are other people that do the same thing as I do. Do you? Maybe I'm a, maybe it's just me. Do you, when you finally get to the point that you're like, oh crap, I'm so far behind, I'm never going to watch this, is, do you find it cathartic or enjoyable to, to finally, you know, delete those episodes? I don't know, it kind of hurts, I gotta say. <laughs> okay. Okay, so what's piling up on your PVR right now? It's The Walking Dead. Okay. How far behind are you? I think I now have a season and a half of Walking Dead all saved on my PVR. Okay, so... So my spoiler alert here is you might want to just delete those. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I know why they're piled up on my PVR. It's that what is piled up on my PVR is the entire Negan storyline. Yeah. And I know it's piled up on my PVR because I didn't enjoy that story in the comics. Hmm. Sorry, I should correct. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy the story. It's that it just went on way too long. Yeah. It was, I think, in the comics, the longest story arc they'd ever done up to that point. And I just felt like it was going on forever and there was no resolution and no resolution. And when it did eventually resolve, I felt like it just wasn't worth the buildup. Yeah. And so when I saw them getting into this story in the episodes, I was just, oh, I don't know if I can go through this again. And so basically I have the entire Negan storyline on my PVR. And I think what's going to happen is I'm just going to wait until it's over and then delete them all and then start with the next story arc. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's not that they drag out this particular story for me with The Walking Dead. It's just the overall quality of the show has just continued to steadily falter as far as i'm concerned um i've been watching it week to week as it goes and every week i'm just kind of like eh, am i gonna keep watching you know it's watchable but it's to me the thing that i'm getting really disappointed by on the walking dead is it feels like no matter what else happens there are certain certain things that they have to have some zombie killing and there's certain things that they just have to do and those kind of re- mandatory requirements 
they just pad them out with these kind of faux cinematic, trying to be cool, trying to be stylish, um, you know, little musical montages or playing around with not like jumping back and forth in time, things like that. And all of these little tricks that they're using lately to me are just covering up the fact that the overall story and writing is just kind of tired and uninspired. I wonder if even the the series writers were as tired about this particular storyline and how long it went on in the books as I was, and maybe they're having some difficulty getting inspired to rewrite something that was long and drawn out in the books for television. Yeah, maybe. Oh, well, well, uh, I look forward to finding out what, uh, what you think of it when you do get around to it, or, or if you do end up just skipping it entirely. Yeah, I think I'm more looking forward to seeing what they do after this storyline. They're they're getting pretty close to finishing it, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. I know in the comics they've gone in some some really bigger, weirder places. We'll have to find out. Okay, do you want to move on to our take-home top three for the week? We can do the take-home top three for sure. Okay, so last week I had asked you to think back on video games in particular that you vegged out on over the years and think about the three games that you spent the most time on but don't regret it at all. So it's not like, oh my god, that was a time sink. It's like, wow, that was an awesome game and I would happily do it again. This was a fun little exercise for me. The first one was so easy because the second you gave me this assignment last week when we were talking I knew what number one was so I'll start with what was the easiest one for me and that was City of Heroes. Oh love City of Heroes. So City of Heroes was a massively multiplayer online game. It ran from 2004 to 2012. It was made by NCSoft. And it was a superhero online role-playing game where you created a character, went into this online world, and interacted with other people, and fought villains, and got to be a superhero. When you say created a character, we should say created 20 or 30 or 40 characters, really. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but the character creation aspect of City of Heroes was probably one of the most incredible things about it because going back to playing paper and pencil uh, role-playing games and superheroes you had the little uh, sketched outline in champions which we talked about before that you could draw a costume over well this was that taken and put online in such a way that you could adjust every single aspect of your hero every piece of their costume every part of their body Uh, I mean I couldn't even if it was just if this take home top three was just the number of hours I'd spent in the character (laughs) creator on City of Heroes I could have had I could have said oh yeah I wasted a lot of time in there but I regret nothing totally and character creation was so much fun in there there were and I had like whole sort of sets of characters. I had like my fun characters that I wanted to play with and that were based around who's going to be a fun type of character to to actually play in the game. And I had characters that I was just, this was a goofy concept or a costume that I wanted to try out. It was just so much fun. I'm going to edit into the show notes the intro music, uh, which I found online.
So I remember watching this game uh, in development on online forums and getting into uh, early into the forums so that I was in the beta release for this game. Okay. The first time I logged on and heard that music and saw looked around the world and played for five minutes, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever played in my life. Uh, it pulled me in for a long time. I didn't play quite all the way till the end in 2012. I played pretty consistently from 2004 through to near the end. And besides the, the fact the game was great, you could create uh, your own superhero groups. Right. And I got involved quite early with a group uh, that we wound up calling ourselves the Defenders of Paragon, which was the city that the game took place in. And I played with those people for six years of yeah, uh, online it's, play. It's, it's crazy. I still, once in a while, I'll see like, uh, you know, something come up in my Facebook feed about somebody from that group. And, you know, very few of them did I know anything about in real life. But uh, yeah, it was it was that... For me, it was that first experience of like really becoming friends with people online just through a game. Yeah, we have a Facebook group of former Defenders of Paragon players now. We're, what, six years since the game died that we still talk on Facebook? A lot of times it's just reminiscing about (laughs) City of Heroes and (laughs) being sad that it's gone. Amazingly enough, I, I wasn't even thinking of uh, of that game when I asked you for this challenge, but that's a, an obvious pick. So uh, now that we've got that out of the way, what were the other two uh, that you thought of? All right. The next one, um, it's uh, kind of for similar reasons, but uh, it's the very first Diablo game. Okay. See, I never got into any of the Diablos. I think it was just I didn't have a good PC in that era. Diablo for me was the very first game that I played online that was a multiplayer online game where you routinely interacted with other people and i got onto the game i enjoyed playing with other people for the first time and i also got for the first time ever sort of hooked into the social aspect of the game okay Uh, diablo came out in 1996 and i happened upon a group of people that played together or hung out together online regularly they had a uh, you could create chat rooms where you would just default to when you logged on instead of going to your regional chat group and these guys had created this uh, chat group called the hundred acre wood which is a it's a Winnie the Pooh reference, which I was kind of like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I wound up <laughs> hanging out in this uh, chat room called the Hundred Acre Wood with a bunch of other guys, and it was the first time that I'd ever had that sort of social interaction online. Yeah. And also, it was just it made it so easy to go in there and say, hey, who wants to do this level? And you'd immediately have a group and you'd go do it. And uh, that was that first experience for me. Cool. Yeah, Diablo, uh, it's basically just like massive, massive hack and slash, like huge numbers of enemies and lots of treasure and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, it was the treasure, uh, I think, that was the the key link and that there were yeah. so many different things in that game and sets of armor and things that you could collect and they were all in different levels of rarity. So it was totally random what you would get and it Neat. was just, it was a, a carrot that was constantly dangling in front of you that you could find (laughs) this thing the third game on my list is a game called dark souls okay yeah so that's like ps3 
Yeah, Dark Souls is a console game. It was developed by From Software and released in North America by Namco Bandai Games. Yeah. It was a PlayStation 3 game. It also came out for uh, the Xbox and eventually was ported into a, a Windows version. It ate tons of my life and it made me so angry at times and there were numerous occasions in which I wanted to hurl the controller at the TV in which I would throw it down on the couch and stomp around the room or just have to leave the room. (laughs) Okay so was this like just because it was was it glitchy was it buggy was it just super hard what was going on here? It was designed to be punishingly hard. Okay. And the end result of it being so punishingly hard was that when you reached the accomplishment, there was like nothing like that feeling of finally getting by something. (laughs) And I mean, this was, uh, it was released as the idea that this was either going back to old school games with no saves, no, uh, no level skips, no cheats. You, if you died, you had to go back to the start and all the monsters respawned like those old sort of platform games Sure. in a RPG where you, what also happens is you've used up some of your items. So it gets harder the more times you die and it was a game that totally forced you to have to learn from every time you died. So you, if you went down a hallway and you didn't look right into an alcove and a skeleton stuck a knife in your back and you died, you had to remember the next time you walked, oh, next time you did the level, that when you walked down the hallway, there's a skeleton in that alcove. That reminds me of uh, Dragon's Lair. Yeah, it was kind of like that, but in a, like, not... But in a flowing game in which right. you had to remember everything immediately Man. in the moment as you were moving. So I, I just wanted to share briefly a part. I look back at some reviews of it, and this one sort of perfectly describes what this game was like. Uh, there is real beauty in Dark Souls. It reveals that life is more suffering than pleasure, more failure than success, and that even momentary relief of achievement is wiped away by new levels of difficulty. It is also a testament to our persistence in the face of that suffering, and it offers the comfort of a community of other players all stuck in the same hellish quagmire <laughs> wow and that review gave it 10 out of 10 <laughs> that's one that i never played and honestly i can't say i'm i'm terribly looking forward to trying it yeah i remember the uh feeling of elation when i finally finished that game and in like recent years it's not often that i actually make it all the way through to the end of a game yeah life intercedes and I have a general, like, once the disc comes out of the machine, it's probably never going back in again, (laughs) replacement by new games. But Dark Souls, I fought my way all the way through to the end of that game, and it was probably the biggest feeling of accomplishment. And it's only that feeling of accomplishment that makes the time that I spent worth it feel like it was worth playing and not just a giant time suck. Awesome. Thanks for that little rundown. Do you have an assignment for me for next week? I did. I was going to, however, go uh, ridiculously specific and retro on this assignment. So it, ah. I, I had a couple of things that I thought about, and then I didn't. I wasn't really sure that was something that was going to work for you. And then what I came up with was one that was sort of explicitly designed for you. So whether anybody else has any interest in this <laughs> will be a, an open question, okay. but I think that you'll find it fun. I am really intrigued now. Hit me. 
So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about David Letterman being back on uh, TV, uh, specifically okay. on his Netflix show. Yep. So I was going to ask you to give me your top three original run David Letterman skits. Ooh. So the little comedy yeah. breaks uh, that he used to do. So not, you know, moments of interview with a person. Yeah. Uh, the skits, the little okay. uh, segues that he used so to like do on the, the show. Uh, so like the Alka-Seltzer suit. That uh, was one that came to mind, things, yes. Things like that. Okay, cool. No, that'll be... Uh, I, I hope I can draw on the power of YouTube for some inspiration here. Because, man, if I have to just rely on my own human memory this might be ugly but uh it should be fun okay i will get some good anecdotes for you well i think that's about all we have time for this week i think so uh thanks for listening you can catch us every week on totally sort of.com or in the podbean app you can also find us on itunes and in the google play store if you liked what we had to say if you hated it or you had some other opinion you wanted to share please leave us a comment or a suggestion, or tweet us at totallysortof.com. Yeah, we're definitely looking for some feedback. We're still pretty new at this game, but we're having fun with it, and we'd like to know what you think. So definitely tell your friends. We'd love if you can uh, drop a review on the iTunes store. It'd be awesome. Uh, we want to thank Kabana Black for letting us use his song for our intro, which is Punk. You can check the notes for this segment to find links to some of the things that we've talked about. You can also find us on Instagram at Totally Sort Of. All right. Until next time, I'm Chris McInnes. And I am Darren Hogan. And you've been listening to Totally Sort Of, the podcast. Talk to you later, buddy. You bet, pal.